Welcome to a Musician's Life podcast. This podcast features interviews with a diverse group of musicians in different fields of the music industry, and my intent is that the audience will gain something from each guest's story. This episode features my conversation with Willie J. Laws. Willie is the real deal. He's a blues guitarist from South Texas that has made a name for himself playing on stages across America and across the world. I sat down with him for this interview at his home in Sharon, Mass. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in the podcast app and leave a review. Also, please consider making a donation to this podcast on our homepage at www.andrewhalljones.com. You'll see a link for A Musician's Life. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please email me at amusiciansLifePodcast at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at MusicianLifePod. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram. Here's my conversation with Willie Laws. (laughs) All right. Willie J. Laws, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Man, let's start with some basic biographical information. Where'd you grow up? I grew up um, in South Texas, a small town called, uh, the name of the town is Taft, Texas, T-A-F-T. It was actually uh, 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 funny, it was uh, uh, the former president, William H. Taft, Hmm. he had a brother named Charles, and uh, Charles, you know, went down there, this was like a probably late late 1800s, early 1900s, Mm -hmm. because there were a lot of... uh, German settlers and Irish settlers moving mm-hmm. into that area because it was just some really really fertile, awesome farmland mm-hmm. in that in that area. So and it's good for farming and ranching. Um, so, you know, early 1900s that was that whole industrial revolution. Yeah. Charles Taft was an industrialist. Mm-hmm. Came down to that that area down there where I grew up, which is actually right right on a part of the Gulf of Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of funny they started building uh, they made it was like a resort area for you know the super rich of that time right Rockefellers Vanderbilts mm-hmm. these sort of people so there's a lot of like these really cool Victorian houses down there and stuff hmm. interesting but the really cool part about growing up in South Texas was we were not so far from Mexico yeah so I grew up list, you know grew up around listening to and around a lot of um, uh, Mexican musicians, but it was mostly like um, uh, the Tex-Mex right. uh, sound. Yeah, uh, it was called like conjunto. Okay, it was like a conjunto. So, and, what are some characteristics of that style of music? Well, it's 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 a heavy German influence, like the old German umpa band. Uh-huh. Umpa, umpa, umpa. That's why you hear a lot of that in the in the in that Mexican music in that style. Yeah, because a lot of it they were influenced by the German settlers mm. that were coming that was moving into that area, South Texas. Mm. So when the Mexicans started, you know, playing accordions. Yeah, and then they. they started playing these 12 string guitars right. called the bajo sexto yeah and that bajo sexto would like emulate the the bass part of of the melody huh. and, and and the accordion would play on the top end playing the top end of the melody of the song yeah you know it's like boom, gap, boom, gap, boom, digga, 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 real german polka right really Influence, pretty much yeah. but just adapted to this the 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 mexican way the feel man interesting and that so I grew up that that area where I grew up is that that style of music or that genre is indigenous to where I grew up. Right. Yeah. So 
when you grew up in growing up in Taft, Texas, you had this uh, inter- this Mexican music that was an influence on you, and then. What percentage would you say was the Mexican that uh, Mexican music you were listening to, as well as like you were also listening to like gospel music or like blues or anything else that was happening at mm. that time? You know, I, everything else was pretty much like balanced out. It was yeah. it was kind of like split in the quarters. I had my Mexican music that I would listen to, and country music, like the and the old school country too, man. Because mm-hmm. you know I I I was born in 1962, so. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a time where, you know, that music was still fucking, it was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome music. You go yeah. back and it's timeless, right. you know? Yeah. So, so there was like, I guess all my listening time was just, was split equally between, between, between conjunto, country, mm-hmm. blues, and a little bit of jazz, rock and roll, definitely, yeah. man. Judas Priest, man, Rush. Mm. You know, all them guys, man. Yeah. You know, yeah, 38 Special. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, so, so let's talk a little bit more about your early life. So, can you speak a little bit about your parents and what their lives were like? Oh, man. Well, my, my both my parents were, were born uh, during the Great Depression. Uh, my, my, my dad was born in 1930. Uh, my mom was born in 1935. They've since passed on now. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, they they grew up in South Texas. My my uh, my mom's family, her side of the family, was a lot of uh, on on her on her father's side. There's a lot of Choctaw, Choctaw and Cherokee, Indian, mm-hmm. Native American, and 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 on on her mother's side too was was uh, 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 Cherokee. Mm-hmm. So we were like African American, Native American. Yeah. <clears throat> On 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 my uh, on my mother's side of the family, yeah, uh, and her family were like they were the first uh, uh, family of African Americans to move down in that part of Texas. Mm-hmm. And you know, before them, I mean, there were no, no yeah. other ones before them. So. Yeah. And uh, what a so. <clears throat> What was music like in your house growing up? Were your parents listening to music or mm-hmm. participating in music in some way? Uh-huh. Yeah, because in my house growing up, there was, you know, either we were we were going to somebody's house on the weekends or we were going to, to Kingsville, Texas, to my my, uh, my grandmother and grandfather's house. That was my mom's mom and dad. Mm-hmm. We were going, to, you know, they lived in Kingsville. My grandfather, he had, he had a couple of beer joints, man, and... Uh, and uh, my uncle was also a drummer. My mom's youngest brother was a drummer. His name was Don, Donald Ray. Donald Ray Brightman was his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a drummer, man. <laughs> they used to play in a band called Lester Reese and Nature Boy. All right. <laughs> you know yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Wow. And they would, they would rehearse, man. They would either rehearse at my grandmother's house or, you know, they would rehearse at uh, you know the guitar player's mom's house you know because it, it was like um, the houses were uh, they were like uh, projects but mm-hmm. not not like the projects as you would know them in the inner city right they were like these the projects they were like uh, one story one story uh, almost like ranch style little houses you mm-hmm. know so so uh, you know a lot of people in the neighborhood uh, at, in Kingsville 
they were all playing instruments, man. Everybody was playing mm-hmm. guitar, bass, something. So, man, I'm six and seven years old. That shit, that turned me on, man. Right. I, I was right there. I was all about that. Yeah. Know? So, that, that's where it really started from, right there. Man. Right. Did your dad play guitar? Who was playing guitar? Uh, well, my uncle Tommy Lee played a guitar. Right. Um, uh, but my early, my two earliest influences uh, was my 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 uh, oldest sister's husband, her first husband. Man, he mm-hmm. got killed in a car wreck. Man, mm-hmm. my brother-in-law, his uh, his name was Charles Adams, and he was like one of my earliest influences of like guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then the guy that that used to, my uncle used to play with Lester Reese. Mm-hmm. He was a guitar player and a singer. So, those two guys, man, were really my 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 first two influences as far as wanting to play the guitar. Right. And when did you get your own guitar? Uh, about my aunt, my aunt Janelle gave me one when I was about eight. Okay. <clears throat> were your parents religious at all? Yeah. Uh, the the church, the local church in the neighborhood was the Rising Star Missionary Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. That's where I was at every Sunday. Yeah. Was there a band? No, it wasn't a band. It was just a choir. Just a choir? And was there an organist? P- piano and, and B3. Okay, cool. Piano and B3. And, and my next door neighbor, Joyce Mitchell, I, I can't, you know, go do this without mentioning her, man. Mm-hmm. She was the choir director. Mm-hmm. And, and, she was also man, a hell of a fucking singer, dude, and 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 piano. She could play piano and organ. Mm. She was a badass, man. All right, yeah. She was a badass. So she was definitely. She lived right next door. Right. So that's another one of my influences too. Right. And she played in a band called Ricky G and the Dream Blows. <laughs> that's great. These names are great, man. <laughs> I know, right? They're like cool, dude. I know, man. These are awesome days, man. Ricky G is a dream glows, man. Yeah. You know, and, and we used to, uh, there used to be a, a, a TV show, a live broadcast, because back then it was only uh, three channels, you know, it was ABC, NBC, and CBS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and down home, the channels were three, six, and ten. Mm-hmm. And on, on channel three, was it was the ABC affiliate. Mm-hmm. And on Sundays, man, they used to have this Mexican guy, his name was... Domingo Pena mm-hmm. and it was Domingo Pena's show and he would have all of like the, the, the local bands mm-hmm. from around the towns and shit because every like I said man where I grew everybody played something man yeah. almost everybody played something man Yeah. so there were like bands everywhere mm. and so he would have bands every Sunday man like guys coming from San Antonio or Houston or Dallas right. or right. the guys coming up from the valley or you know and it was mostly Conjunto, because right. that was like the really the beginnings the style, of yeah. that. But they would also other bands too was playing rock, you know, playing out, you know, a lot of stuff like Joyce and with Ricky G and the Dream Glows. Mm-hmm. They were playing like R and B and rock and roll. Yeah. So. And she was playing organ. Yeah, she got piano. She was playing piano and yeah. singing with them. But when she would take us over there when they would do these live shows, because they needed dancers. Right. And man, we was like eight, nine years old, dude, right dancing on, on these little TV shows, man. That's awesome. Yeah, dude, so that, cool. that was cool, man. That was very, very, very cool upbringing, man. So, uh, I'm curious about your your middle school years. Were you when did you start playing in bands or like getting to jam with people and really getting comfortable on your guitar? 
Man, you know what? That didn't come until I was older. Really? Like high school? To, no. That didn't come until after I got out of the Navy, man. So what were you up to musically, like in middle school and high school? Like what were, besides the, the, the community you were, part, you were part of, like what were some bands or albums you were listening to uh, that influenced you at that time? Chicago. Yeah. Hendrix. Uh, like I said, man, Judah, Judas Priest. Mm-hmm. Rush. Um, and then I was listening to a lot of, you know, a lot of the, the R&B and funk stuff, like the Barcades, Commodores, mm-hmm. uh, Confunction. Yeah. Uh, man, my cousin, my cousin Ronnie, man, he had a he had a big hit out back then, man, because that was back in the days when you could still do a hit with an instrumental, just an instrumental right. song. Yeah. Being a hit, uh, he had a hit out called Friends and Strangers. Okay. And it was just all instrumental. Yeah. You know, just like on so, a forty-five or something. Just no, no, it was a man. It was a, it was a big. It was a national hit, top oh, ten, bro. Okay, cool. yeah, Ronnie Laws. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, so, what was one of, like one of the first concerts that you went to that like really like knocked you out? I have to say, man, I went to this concert in in Houston once, and it was a uh, seventy-six. It was a bicentennial year, mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, it was a concert at the Astrodome. Mm-hmm. It was all these all black artists, man, all these old R and B guys, man. You know, uh, but the headliner, <laughs> the headliner was Johnny Taylor, because Disco Lady was out there. Okay, you know, shake it up, shake it down. Yeah. <laughs> And I remember, I remember Johnny came on the stage and he was lit up, bro. He was like, he had like one eye closed, one eye open. Shake it down, shake it down. I was like, oh, dude, man, we paid all this money, man, to hear Disco yeah, Lady, dude. Yeah. He done messed it up, man. Dang, oh, man. dude. So, yeah, man, that, I, that's one of, one of my most <laughs> memorable shows. Uh, but you know, when I grew up, man, when I was growing up, Andrew, man, I didn't think I was going to be playing music professionally, man. Yeah. That, that was not even in, that wasn't even in, in my mind, bro. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I thought I was going to be a working man or something, yeah. you know, regular old cat. You yeah. know, go to work, you know, have a nice old lady, get fat with her together and have, mm-hmm. have kids, you know, and just work. Yeah, you know? man. That's how, that's really what, you what know. What you thought, yeah. Yeah, man, because my dad did that. My dad worked, man. Right. My mom worked, you know. I come I come from industrious people, man. We right. fucking work. Not scared to work. Right. Not afraid of it at all, you know. So, um, it, that's kind of like, I guess, what kind of drove me to music. Because this was like, probably like the mid-80s, man. Mm-hmm. And times were bad, dude. Yeah. Oh, Reaganomics was kicking in hard, man. You know, what nobody getting no jobs. Right. There was no jobs, Andrew. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I remember, I must have filled out in one year, man. I must have filled out at least two hundred something applications. Right. You know. Yeah. In a year's time, maybe more. But the whole time, I was doing that, man, to to, to deal with the pain and the frustration, man. I was be I would be playing my guitar. Sure. And I had like some old forty fives and shit. Yeah. I had uh, Freddie King out for Federal Federal Records. 
Uh, uh, one side was onion rings. It's like an instrumental. Mm-hmm. And the other side was a tune called I've Got a Woman, mm-hmm. but not like the Ray Charles mm-hmm. way. Totally different, man. Real cool, man, that Freddie King thing, you know. So I just started, like, wrapping myself up in them 45s, man. Mm-hmm. And, and luckily, luckily I was getting some unemployment to kind of help me make it. And then I, I uh, <laughs> it was in the summertime, I would sell uh, barbecue sandwiches. Mm-hmm. I would barbecue and sell sandwiches because a lot of the farm workers would be there out there, you know, working in the grain fields and the cotton fields around there where I grew up. Right. And, and uh so I could make money that way. Right. And when I was always practicing it. Sure. And, and when did you uh, go into the Navy? Ah, 1980. Okay. Active. I actually joined in 79. Yeah. But then I went in around that 1980 is when I actually went in. Yeah. Yeah. And when did you uh, retire or... Oh, when did I get through with them? Yeah, done with them? your career. About 80. Six, I guess. Okay. Eighty-seven. Um, so, during that time we were in the Navy, did you, you know, have your guitar with you, or like, how did yeah, that work yeah, out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, uh, uh, went to. We were in the Philippines one time. We used to go to the Philippines all the time because I was stationed. My ship was home ported in Japan, in mm-hmm. Yokosuka, Japan, at the time. So, every time we would leave. And, and go back home, we would always stop in Subic Bay because mm-hmm. we had we had things that we needed to drop off in Subic Bay or things that we needed to pick up. Um, but man, the Filipinos over there, man, they, they could really, you know, make some nice little copy instruments and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I bought a, I actually, I, I actually bought a, uh, uh, like a SG copy, a Gibson SG mm-hmm. copy guitar for about like a hundred and something bucks. Mm-hmm. And then this other guy that was in my my division, he was getting ready to leave to go come back home, mm-hmm. and he had a he had an ovation, mm-hmm. and he said, "Here, man." He goes, oh. "He goes, I can't carry this." He goes, "I know you kind of play guitar and stuff too, so why don't you just take it?" So that right, cool, man. So I, I had those two guitars there, and that that kind of got me started up again mm-hmm. on, the, on the down times that I had on the boat right on the ship rather. right and uh, when you got out of the Navy what was what was your move did you move back to Taft or did you move somewhere else or? yeah I went back home yeah I went back to Taft because I thought I could get a job out, out right with my dad yeah the, he worked my dad worked for uh, Reynolds Aluminum okay so you know I thought I'd be able to get a job out there but they weren't hiring and mm-hmm. you know and you know, after what happened to me in the Navy, man, I got hurt there, so I really, you know, didn't want to go back. Right. Although I probably could have. Yeah. I didn't really want to. And then, so what, when was the first time that you moved away from Taft with the idea that you were going to go play some play live music, start making some money doing that, or how did, how did that work out? I moved away from Taft in 1989, after I'd already been playing. Yeah. You know, I started a little local band. Mm-hmm. Me and some local guys in from Taft started this band called Rebound, and and the strongest player was the bass player and singer. Uh, his name was Eli Casas, and Eli man, great player man, great singer. He was like the most professional of us, you know. All, mm-hmm. You know, and it was like man, I, you know, I asked him one time, I was like, dude, how'd you like, the fucking like, 
deal with us, man. None of us could really play shit, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, oh, you know, it's cool, man. We we did it, you know. He says you got potential, you got, you know that kind of stuff. So, right. so, you know, we had this band called Rebound, and that mm-hmm. was around about eighty seven, about eighty seven, and uh, I, and like I started, like I said, I was just started getting into it. That was right. kind of like I fell into it, like right. Okay, well, I guess this is what I'm doing. This is the only way I can make any money. Right. Any kind of little decent money. Sure. You know? Mm-hmm. So, that's pretty much how it started. And it started with Rebound. And then uh, I started playing a lot of little local bands and mm-hmm. a lot of jams and stuff around down there in Corpus and uh, Beeville. You know, all around South Texas, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And I had my, my older sister... <clears throat> she lived in San Diego at the time, and uh, you know, back it was starting to be some trouble down there in Texas. So my mom was like, "Well, you know, you probably should go to California." Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, "Yeah, you might be right." So I moved to San Diego in '89. Mm-hmm. I stayed in San Diego from 1989 to 1994. Mm-hmm. In '94, I moved to New Orleans. I stayed in New Orleans '94, '98. Kind of started a started mm-hmm. a relationship, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and uh, we ended up staying together, man, a good probably seven eight years, I guess. So, but we she 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 when she uh, was in uh, Houston, she came home one day and she said, "Hey, where do you want to go? Do you want to go to New Orleans or Chicago?" Because she was going to transfer. Mm-hmm. So well, shit, New Orleans, because I had been away from home right. already a long time. So I still kind of wanted to stay kind of close to right. where my mom and dad right. and my family. So, so right. I moved to New, we moved to New Orleans. Yeah. So where did in New Orleans? Where did you move to? What neighborhood did you live in? Uh, Lower Garden District. Yeah, right off of uh, 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 Terpsichore and and, and uh, Saint Charles. So did you start working there as a guitar player or as yeah, a singer? Within, dude, I was working within about two months. Yeah. It didn't take me long. Right. And what was the, you know, what was the scene like down there? Did you, you went around and met everybody and just started working yeah, basically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Snooks Eaglin, Herman Ernest uh, were big influences for me. Uh, uh, Marva Wright, mm-hmm. her man, her keyboard player, that he, man, he passed away about a couple of years after I lived yeah. there. His name was Sam Perfect. Okay. B-E-R-F-E-C-T, Perfect. Mm. Dude had these fingers like sausage hands, man. Uh, Never heard a piano player like that dude, man. Yeah. And uh, 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 Freddie King's brother, Benny Turner, mm-hmm. bass player, was was playing with him. He was Marvel Wright's uh, uh, musical director. Mm. You know, uh, Earl King. Yeah. Uh, uh, Eddie Bo, cat named Eddie Bo. You know, I used to play uh, gigs with Eddie Bo. It would be me, Eddie Bo, and uh, uh, Coco Robichaux. Us three. <laughs> Where were you working with him? At, what was the at Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville. Yeah. Every Sunday, man. Oh, every actually every Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I had the first slot from uh, two to five. Then Eddie Bo would come on from five to eight, and then Coco Robichaux would come on uh, from like eight to about eleven or something like that. Right. And then uh, 
uh, when Coco Robichaud wasn't around, uh, Chris Thomas King would, would come in and play. And would that club be done around 11, or would they be another late set? No, they, they, that side of the club, that right. part of it was like a, a sidebar or whatever. Because the stage, man, shit, my little living room right here is bigger than that stage was, right. man. Yeah. It was probably, say, from this wall to maybe the end of that little table right there. Right. Maybe about from here to, to the wall. Yeah. It wasn't, it was... So, deep. and that was a steady gig for you for... Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Yeah. For, for, for as long as I was in New Orleans. Right. What about uh, other gigs? Were you just picking up other oh, stuff yeah, during no, the yeah, week? Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah, no, doing uh, little festivals and stuff. But then that's when I first started going to Europe. Mm -hmm. And this was around about 96. Because I've been in New Orleans about almost two years about that time. Mm-hmm. And, and it was... Man, that time, you know, I mean, you know, everybody was doing good. People was making money back then. Yeah. Bill Clinton was president. Shit was going on, man. Yeah. You know, people had shit going on. Yeah. And uh, uh, so it would be a lot of uh, uh, tourists, mm -hmm. you know, Italy, Germany. So at the, I met a German, uh, German couple. And then in the same day, that very same day, that later that evening, I met this Italian couple. They was both in the music, and they said, hey, how'd you like to come to Italy? And I said, how'd you like to come to Germany? So I was like, well, when, when? And I was like, okay, boom. And they was, both of them had like the dates kind of like matching. I was like, okay, look, tell you what I'll do. Boom, I'll go ahead to Italy, boom, and i go to Germany. Right. Been going back there ever since for 20 years. I haven't been to Italy in a while, but Germany, you know. And when did you start uh, recording your own music? Like making your own CDs and that kind of stuff? 1991. Okay, so was that... In San Diego? In San Diego was your first... First CD was called uh, Willie J, because I used to go by Willie J, J-A-Y-E. Mm -hmm. And it's Willie J, The Texas Hurricane. That was my first CD. And then did and you do one when... that was like Makers when that, right. when that shit was first coming out, yeah. bro. Yeah. And because and, uh, Dismakers was in uh, Woburn. Oh, okay, yeah. At the time when they first yeah. started, they were in Woburn. Okay. Yeah, man. And uh, did you make an album when you were in New Orleans? Yeah, we did. Uh, <laughs> ironic, man. This is so ironic that you asked me that. I did, uh, I did a record, some original tunes, maybe one or two covers, but mostly originals, called... Uh, before the storm and that was in 1997 wow. when I did that one wow and it was you know what and I remember the tube of cover shit Andrew when we get through with this interview I think I might still have the little cover I, I, I did the cover art mm -hmm. and I just did it I did it in the shape of a hurricane and I put an eye right and I don't know and it was called before the storm wow Recorded, we recorded it at the at the Mermaid Lounge in New Orleans. Man. Live? Yep, yep, cut it live. Who man. was in the band, you remember? Chris Brewer was on bass. Shintaro Tanaka was on guitar. And uh, Lloyd LaGrange was on drums. So uh, when you were living in New Orleans, who were some of your favorite guitar players? Snooks was one of my favorite guitar players, Coco. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, 
Damn. <laughs> How about favorite think drummers? Something like that. Herman, of course. Yeah. Man. Herman Ernest was was one of my favorites. Uh, Lily Alcorn. Uh, is that Oliver Alcorn? Mm-hmm. One of my favorite drummers. Uh, uh, a lot of cats down there, man, that I knew at the time. That, yeah. You know, after Katrina, who knows what happened to yeah. him? You know, and it's a lot of names I don't recall. Yeah. You know, but faces I see a face, I'm like, oh, damn. And, yeah. and them too, the same way. Yeah. And now, down in New Orleans, like those gigs are usually four hours. That pretty much ballpark. Summer three, summer four. At that time, yeah. yeah. And then, and then you finish that one and go go to another one right go do another one so and during Mardi Gras and, and Jazz Fest time yeah it, it was not uncommon to do do triples yeah about seven days running yeah you know the, during the, the entire Mardi Gras entire uh, uh, Jazz Fest time right not impossible to do three gigs a day right three shows a day four hour shows mm-hmm. was not impossible yeah but then I was 32, 33, I guess right. was up there, so. Right. I could do that then. Sure. Yeah. Now, one thing that I always ask everybody about, I think it's a good time to ask you since we just talked about playing these these long gigs, is what post-gig rituals do you have? Everybody's got something they do when they get home from a gig. You walk in the door, it's one thirty-two in the morning. You just played for God knows how long. I take off my boots and go, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then and then I'll either I'll probably either it just depends. I might have yeah. like a glass of wine. Have a drink or something. Yeah, yeah. Or I might have a beer or something yeah, like sure. that. Yeah, sure. You know? Sure. Uh so let's talk about living in Las Vegas. So you were playing they opened up a house of blues in Las Vegas around yeah. the time that you were living there or Well, Terry, my 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 uh, my daughter Haynes's mom, mm-hmm. um, she quit working at the Hyatt and she, and she started working at the House of Blues in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And she she started out as the assistant general manager there, and then she quickly developed their uh, uh, convention and sales program because they didn't have any like sales program where they you know could bring in you know do private parties that would close the place down and do mm-hmm. private events and shit right. that make a ton of money that's that was that's her specialty mm-hmm. that's her thing man she's 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 the, you know she's the queen of that stuff man right and so when I was we were living in New Orleans man I was getting a lot of work through with her you know just when she was doing the highest stuff I was doing a lot of private parties a lot of private parties mm-hmm. too I've can't tell I've done like Microsoft I've done Apple, I've done Anheuser Bush when they were Anheuser Bush. I did the Republican governors, public uh, Republican governors when George Bush was governor of Texas. Wow. I did their private party. Right. I mean, just, I was getting huge, man, outrageous shit. Bro. Yeah. So when she got tired of the corporate structure, I said, well, I had already kind of been working at the House of Blues in New Orleans anyway. And, and I knew the, the manager, the general manager, Mike Grozier. And he's a cool guy, man. And, you know, House of Blues, man, it has such great people, man. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to talk about it right. at the time, but 
it, it was awesome, man. Yeah. It was. So anyway, I told Terry, I was like, you know, I said, they're looking for an assistant GM right now. You know, if you're getting tired of the corporate thing, you can get go talk to Mike. She's like, I don't know, maybe I will. And so she did. And he's like, shit, I want you. I'll hire you right now on the spot. So she gave me a notice at Hyatt and uh, started working at the House of Blues there. And and uh, uh, we stayed there until around 98. And she came home one day and said, uh, looks like we might be opening the House of Blues in, in Las Vegas. Mm. I said, oh, really? No shit. She's like, yeah. She said, uh, we're on the opening team. She's like, okay. So that means when are when, when they talking about it opening? She said, sometimes around 1999. I said, it's 1998. What the hell? Yeah. And she's like, no, it's like advancing shit and doing logistical shit or whatever. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. So we moved there in 98. So did you start playing there pretty much right away? When they opened, uh, oh, in Vegas? Yeah. No, you know, I was going back and forth to Germany at the time. Okay. Um, I did a few little things there, you know, getting in the clique Mm -hmm. there. Uh, But but, uh, uh, I didn't really start getting, you know, I had my residency Mm -hmm. once the House of Blues opened up. Mm -hmm. And they opened up on March the 2nd, 1999. Mm -hmm. Bob Dylan was downstairs and I was upstairs. Mm -hmm. And, and it was a it was a star-studded event, man. Dude, I'm looking around. Me, I look around like one minute there's Mick Mick Fleetwood standing right behind us going. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Look over there. I see a uh, 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 Cesar Rosas from from Los Lobos. The guy with the glasses. Mm-hmm. He's over there grooving. Man. I'm yeah. I'm like, Chuck Khan. Damn, she was there that night. She was up up and down. I mean, it was star-studded, dude. Yeah. Charles Barkley. Mike Tyson. Awesome. <laughs> it was crazy, dude. That's great. Oh, dude. So, what about that? So, with the House of Blues, you guys had a residency there as a gig under your own name. And mm-hmm. then, did they start doing the Blues Schoolhouse there? The educational thing? Yeah. And I was involved in that, too. Was that the first time you had done the Blues Schoolhouse? No. The first time was in New Orleans. In New Orleans. They I, did. I was a narrator in New Orleans. Okay. And then... Uh, as a guitar player in Vegas. Okay. And uh, so let's also talk about the band Los Tex Maniacs. Like, when did that? How does that band fit into the timeline of your life? That was after my 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 parents passed away, and I had moved away from Vegas back to Texas. My mom uh, passed away around about Thanksgiving of uh, 2002, mm-hmm. and and. Uh, when we were, my, my mom wanted to be cremated, so we had a service, and uh, something just, it was like this feeling came over me that uh, in a few months I'm going to be back, because I had a feeling that my father was going to be gone too, and sure enough, I was right. And my father died in February 2003, mm-hmm. and uh, I started, man, about that time, you know, that, that just sent me into a, a whole different uh frame of mind and I started my relationship with my daughter's mom started suffering and just things just started falling apart and, right you know I was making still making a bunch of money in Vegas but hey none of that didn't mean I mean it didn't mean anything dude so I got my pickup truck and I rented a trailer and I put all my shit in it 
I said, I'm going back to Texas. I had enough. I did New Orleans, I did Vegas. I had been gone away from home about 10 something years. Mm. I was like, I'm going back to Texas. Like this, I'm going home. I so all the way back to town? Go, yeah, yeah, I was like, I wanna go see some rain and shit. You know, I want to go where it rains again. Right. You know, I hadn't yeah. seen any rain. And being in Vegas, no freaking rain. I'm like, dude, I want to go where it rains again. You know? So, well, you know what, man? As soon as I get home, I'm driving down home, man, and uh, get outside of San Antonio, and it started raining like a son of a gun. But I, I went home and, and, and went to the house, you know. And like I said, started trying to settle my my. You know, dad, mom, and dad's affairs and stuff, estate and whatnot. Uh, <clears throat> then I went up to, uh, I started going up to San Antonio. Because um, Terry and Haynes, Terry took a job in San Antonio. Because we were trying to work things out, but mm -hmm. it just never did happen. Right. But, but uh, she moved down to San Antonio. And she started running a place called Sunset Station, which was a events events like destination. Mm -hmm. And she started doing big concerts. She started doing the same thing she did at the House of Blues, mm -hmm. making money. Do she make money everywhere she goes? She make people money. That's what she does. Mm -hmm. So she was at this place, and and so she said, "You know what? Can you put a band together and do something?" She's like, "Yeah, okay." Cause she knew she she knew she could always depend on me. Mm -hmm. She knew she could always whether we were together or not. She knew, you know. I know how she works. Right. So she don't know when I go there. She don't never have to worry. I know my guys are already in line, ready to go. She don't have no problems for me ever. Mm -hmm. So that's why she calls and hires me even mm -hmm. to this day. She'll call and hire me for stuff. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah. But. Uh, uh, so she moved back down and, 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 and uh, she said, can you put a band together? So she had some guys in mind from up there too. So she kind of introduced me to them. It was guys like <laughs> the West Side Horns and, and uh, guys that used to play with Doug Som and, and, and Augie Myers. You know, I'm like, so I'm getting introduced to guys already in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. Right off the bat. I'm like, oh man, damn. So we all hit it off. And uh, and then that's when I met my, my 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 good buddy man my he's my brother man Joe Trevino man my, the guy that I recorded my uh, uh, Running Out of Lies CD with in mm -hmm. 2006 I met him and through through all that association I met Max Baca from Los Texmaniacs mm -hmm. and they're playing conjunto music and then and I, I just kind of like I heard him playing uh, they were on the on the porch at the studio at the black uh, Blue Cat Studios in San mm -hmm. Antonio and I was like oh yeah dude, gang, gang, gang. and then Max goes yeah, oh yeah man and and he with him playing the bajo and I had my electric I knew how to just play like like two strings that would ghost ghost what he was doing on the bajo dang so it made the bajo kind of like this enhanced the sound mm -hmm. and I knew his rhythm I knew his stroke mm -hmm. it was like automatic for me so he's like eh, you gotta play with us man so, nice. so I started playing with the little Tex Maniacs All right. and toured with them with, toured, toured with them to Switzerland Germany again uh, uh, 
almost a lot of places in the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, do they have records out that you oh, played yeah. on, or? Uh, yeah, there's a couple that I played on. Uh, uh, going back to uh, 2008, mm -hmm. I think it was called About Time. Little Sex Maniacs About Time. I did something on that one. And I also wrote a couple of songs on, on one of the records, too. Okay, cool. And what about these... Uh You've been doing these gigs with the um, is it the U.S. consulate. Is that what it is that connects you guys with gigs in Europe and? Yeah, well, that that how that thing came about. That actually came about through a, through through the Los Tex Maniacs. Mm -hmm. I went to Russia with them in like 2013, mm -hmm. something like that. That was the first time I went to Russia, and. Um, 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 that's how I, I, I met the people from the U.S. Council, mm -hmm. uh, Council General mm -hmm. uh, 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 Office, the, the public affairs people, and uh, and the lady that was in charge of uh, the first tour or whatever, she asked me for my information. Mm -hmm. And I gave it to her, and then I emailed her, and and uh, started putting her in touch with Joan. Mm -hmm. And her and Joan started talking, and next thing you know, shit, we was going back there again. Yeah, this time with my band. So what do you do? How many? How long are you there for in each trip? And about how many gigs do you play? We will travel. 5,000 miles and if you add up like your total playing time the right. total time that you actually are working yeah yeah maybe four hours yeah. five hours that you're actually doing something right. working you know so we'd be we were over there for six days and we did four gigs in six days yeah what are the uh, sets like an hour and 15 minutes yeah hour 15 yeah you know the longest one we did was maybe 90 yeah but then you know we would get on course too right so we'd give them another maybe 10 or so yeah you know but yeah. but um um <laughs> you know Russia man shit it was cold man it was still cold dude it was raining and cold yeah how was the food it's good. Some some places good. Some place. Yeah. It's just like I say, man. Definitely depends on the region. Like accommodations were not, you know, not as good as like the the previous times. Right. So you know, sometimes there's there's these little Mistakes. give and take kind of moments, yep. you know. Yeah. That you just have to get used to, and if and if you know, uh, you know, if most Americans haven't been anywhere. They don't know how to act. Right. You know? Yeah. And those are the kind of people, like, I don't care how good a musician is. You could be the baddest son of a bitch in all the land. Right. But if you got that, like, that messed up attitude and shit, I don't want to work with you, man. I don't want to travel with you. Because I know if I travel with you, with you got that attitude like that, I'm going to end up killing your ass. I already know it. So 
to avoid any kind of jail or police involvement. Right. I just rather not just <laughs> get it straight. Yeah, first, right. Yeah. Just don't, you know, I'm not going to work with you, man. So it's good, man. So I just have a couple of quick questions and we can wrap this up, man. Uh, this has been great. I appreciate it. So I'm curious about, uh, did you have any mentor, mentors on the guitar? Mm-hmm. Yeah, talk about Philip, that a little bit? Yeah, Philip Walker. The late, late Philip Walker, man. He was, Philip was born, he was born in Welsh, Louisiana, but he grew up, uh, grew up uh, in Port Arthur, Texas, which is what they call part of the Golden Triangle, which is like the big oil refineries and stuff in that area, big oil, because the oil boom was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it was Port Arthur, Beaumont, and Orange, Texas. And in that region, man, that's how Janis Joplin, Johnny Winter, Lonnie Brooks, uh, uh, Philip from that 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 part of the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, damn, I'm gonna tell you here in a second too. Uh, Gatemouth Brown, Gatemouth Brown. That's all they hold. They a lot of them were born in Louisiana, but it's kind of like right there. They were born. It's right there on the border of Louisiana and Texas. Mm-hmm. So when Texas, this little oil boom started hitting in the in the 30s, 30s, 40s, mm-hmm. you know, their their parents moved to that 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 region, right? And created this whole melting pot, man, of, of, of music from that area, dude. That's mm-hmm. just definitely a, a a major part of history, man. You know, American music history. Yeah. So, uh, so Philip was my he was my mentor. Uh, I first met Philip. I actually met Philip in the '80s. That's like you said when you went to a concert and, and you knew that's what you. Right. I'd have to say with Philip, I knew. Yeah. Because uh, there was a local, a local uh, drummer there, older, older, older black guy. Man, his name was Floyd Williams, and Floyd was a guy. He was like from the, he was a drummer like back from the late '40s and '50s and big bands and shit like that traveling and stuff but but he lived in Corpus mm-hmm. and I used to go to these jams in Corpus and Floyd so Floyd knew me from the jams mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I remember too man because I was still in the reserves too and I just came from this reserve thing and I said I had my uniform on and 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 Floyd told Philip because I used to go to this place called Cooper's Alley and he would have national acts regional acts but out just blues. Mm-hmm. And this is like I said, 86, 87. And Floyd told Philip, you see, you see that, that sailor boy over there? That boy plays guitar. He played pretty good. <laughs> and it was funny, dude. I was just sitting there at the bar having my little drink, man. And Philip came over to me and says, uh, Floyd over there, you know, Philip Philip would talk like this. He goes, uh, uh, Floyd over there says, uh, you're a pretty good little guitar player. Well, why don't you just go up there to the stage and take my guitar and take my band and you do a couple of songs and warm up the set for me. <laughs> That's how I used to talk, right? <laughs> I was like, me? He said, yeah, 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 you. I was like, okay, all right. So I went up there, dude. I did Manish Boy. And I did another song, can't remember now, but I do remember mm-hmm. doing Managed Boy. And 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 the, the the reaction that I got from the audience was, you know, 
like they dug it. They was like, yeah. I was like, wow, okay. Well, I guess yeah. this is it now. This is what I'm doing. So when you so you played a couple tunes, then he walked back on stage and took the guitar from you. Did he give you the look of like, all right, man? Or like, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, he just walked back up and he's just like, how about it for this young man right here? He gonna do something. He gonna right. do something. You know, like that. You know. It's like wow, dude. And then, but he inspired me so much, and and he he had a, a agency then. What kept him coming down to that part of Texas, man, at least two or three times a year. Mm-hmm. So I, that's how I could develop this relationship with him. Yeah. And but he lived in Los Angeles. That's so true. you know, after about seeing him the third or fourth time, and I was right about that time. That's when I moved to San Diego mm-hmm. in '89. Mm-hmm. So shit about 1991 I went out on the road with him hmm. you know just two were you playing in his band or were you yeah, his band for, yeah his band that's when I really learned a lot of stuff man what would you say you learned at that point when you so now you're getting to play with one of your mentors or one of your favorite musicians every night like what was what were some of the things you started to learn like right off the bat like that you noticed that he did that you that was different than how to connect doing with an audience yeah how to connect with an audience man. yeah how to look people in the eye and how to you know just do do your shit man play your stuff man you how to get them in the palm of your hand dude mm-hmm. that's the power man yeah and a lot of people can't do that shit yeah man you know yeah And it, but it's an art and it, you can learn how to do it yeah it's not like it's impossible yeah but you know if there's some there's a little finesse and shit involved, man. Yeah, just, definitely. People just ain't gonna go, go along as soon as they see and be hypnotized. You gotta, you gotta do something to get them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Motivated. Right. So, and Philip was good at that, man. Just with playing his guitar and singing too. Fucking sing his ass off. But yeah. Playing that guitar too, man. Shit, dude. Hmm. So did you guys tour like the states? You do the states. Like, state, yeah. I just all the states stuff with it. You know, because I, I still had my little band going in San Diego too right. at the time, so I didn't want to go all all over the place. You know, I would have loved to though. I think there was a couple of times I would have loved to, but in San Diego, man, I I could work five or six nights a week. Right. During yeah. that time. Sure. So. Just a, like two more questions. Um, one is I'm curious if you ever had a gig that you found yourself on that was kind of like hard to imagine yourself playing or like a dream come true kind of gig. Like you're standing on stage with like one of your heroes or playing in some venue you've always wanted to play in or like the, the, that kind of thing. I don't know. I'd have to say as far as like playing with somebody or not actually playing with them but on the same stage you know sharing sharing a bill mm-hmm. with them was bb king the first time yeah bb king so where, where was that and it was in it was at a place a place of name of all places was called the bacchanal in san diego mm-hmm. uh and claremont mesa Claremont Mesa part of San Diego. Mm-hmm. It was called the Bacchanal. And uh, this was 91, 92. Mm-hmm. BB King. They got BB King. And they asked me to open up the show. Right. 
So you had your band open up the show? Yeah. So, uh, was BB there? Did you get to talk to him at all? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because he was always, he always talked to people. Yeah. So, yeah, I was talking to him. And, uh, talked to a couple of guys in his band was, who was with him then. Um, <clears throat> I think Caleb was playing drums then. Caleb Winfrey. Leon Warren was on guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Horns always been the same. Yeah. Well, yeah. He had when I was seeing when I saw him, I was probably in high school. It was like the late '90s. He was a uh, when I saw him, he had another guy playing guitar, like an older guy that played guitar as well. Then he also had two drummers. It seemed like a younger drummer and an older drummer. Late '90s. It was probably Charlie Tuna. Okay. Charlie Tuna's from, well, he's actually Charlie's from, his name is Charles Dennis. He's from Houston. Okay. But but he lives in Vegas. Charles is one of, another one of my influences too, man. Yeah, yeah. He's also good friends with uh, uh, Kev Moe. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <coughs> um, There's another cat out there too. <coughs> Excuse me. Another cat out there too, man. Badass guitar player, songwriter. A dude named Billy Ray Charles. Billy Ray Charles, man. Bad cat. Dude. Where is he from? He's Billy. I think Billy is from Houston. I think he's from Houston or or or, or, or Los Angeles. Might be from Los Angeles. Hmm. He used to live in Los Angeles. He lives in Vegas now. Okay, right? Vegas guy. Yeah, man. He has a place. He did uh, does a residency uh, uh, at this place in Vegas on the west side. Damn, if I can think of the name of it now. I'll probably think of it in the next couple of days. I want to ask you one more side question about yeah. Vegas. So, uh, so when you were living in Vegas, you had a residency happening at the House of Blues. Uh-huh. You were doing the Blues Schoolhouse educational thing, right? Uh-huh. What's what's the deal in Vegas? Can you are there like other gigs, just like blues gigs, like bar gigs, or like stuff you can pick up, or not really? No, not really. There was yeah. a place called the Sand Dollar. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, if you really wanted to do other stuff, man, you'd go over to California. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'd go up the road to like Salt Lake City. You know, mm-hmm. go play. Uh, there used to be a place there called uh, VZD VZDs mm-hmm. at that time. It was in Salt Lake City. But, and uh, so, at this point in your career, are you are you, do you practice or like what do you what are you working on on the on the guitar? Or are you just playing a lot of gigs? Sometimes, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm playing a lot of gigs, but sometimes I like I got this little like lick thing that that I'll do, yeah, just to go over and refresh stuff. Sure. Uh, um, and then right now, I'm getting ready to go. I'm getting ready to go back in the studio, uh-huh. <clears throat> but. I've been, it's just like I'm saying about attitudes, you know, and stuff like that. I don't want to use, I don't want to use, like, my band on everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to use different players. Right. And I tell my guys that, too, so they, they don't expect that they'll be playing on everything. On everything, Cause, yeah. Because I want to give the song what it asks for, you know? Right. Give the song what it wants. I listen to, if I write a song, you know, I, I play it and it's developed, it's developed over time, developed, developed over time. Yeah. 
you know, I uh, uh, like give the song what it wants, man. I, like I said, well, I might hear Jesse on this. I might hear you on this. Right. I might hear so and so on that one. You know what right. I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So. Well, all right, man. Willie Laws, uh, you've always been, always been such a cool guy to me. It's always been so great playing with you. You know, I've showed everybody so much love, man. I really hey, appreciate you doing this. You're welcome, brother. It's always, man. I'm glad you came by, man. You and your family, man. I'm so glad it worked out, man. Oh, it was a great cool, meal man. and uh, a great day, man. Yeah, you caught me, man. You caught me chilling too, because that's, <laughs> that's why I didn't like. I didn't feel like going anywhere, right? Because I, I just needed the rest. Joan and I have been. We've been traveling a lot, man. We've been, yeah. you know, the Russia thing, Germany, Belgium. I got back home, rested a little bit, then went to Texas, came back from that, and then it's like I said, it's last week, Wednesday, Thursday, yeah. Friday, two gigs yesterday. Two yesterday, yeah. So I'm like, Sunday, day of rest, man. Yeah, man. You gotta do it. All right, man. I appreciate it. All right, brother. Thank you. This episode was produced and edited by me, Andrew Jones. The theme song was a collaboration between Matt Pendergast and myself. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in the podcast app and leave a review. Also, please consider making a donation to this podcast on our homepage at www.andrewhalljones.com. You'll see a link for A Musician's Life. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please email me at amusiciansLifePodcast at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at MusicianLifePod. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening, and remember, time with music is time well spent.